insights from the world's best medical minds. This is the right doctors.com. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Ravindra Mehta, Dr. Ravindra Mehta, and I'm the chief of pulmonary and critical care uh, at Apollo Hospice in Bangalore. And uh, we are, I'm in conversation with Dr. Opi Yadav, who is a cardiac surgeon um, and heads the National Heart Institute at New Delhi. And besides that, he has a background in uh, in high altitude medicine from his days in the in the armed forces. And so we are trying to have a, we're trying to have an interesting conversation on lung injury in COVID nineteen uh, pneumonia patients and try and reflect on some new uh, interesting aspects which have come out in the course of uh, discussion the last week on also. Hi, Dr. Yadav. Hi, Dr. Mehta. Good evening. Yeah. Pleasure to have you with uh, you know, in this conversation. So I'll just outline in the next couple of minutes what has been the thinking processes of your and what has been the changes we have uh, seen in both uh, social media and which is of course to be taken with a pinch of salt. But more importantly, in the peer-reviewed literature, though it's also rushed and dashed literature, but nevertheless gives enough food for thought for us to manage these patients as and when they hit our hospitals. As we all know, the, the fear of COVID-19, one of the biggest fears has been lung injury and acute lung injury, the worst form of which is ARDS. And usually when we manage ARDS, a science which is well known over the last two decades or so, ever since ARDS net came, net came out with its publications, there is a strategy of tidal volume of PEEP and so on and lung protective ventilation, which goes from the ventilation, when to ventilate, how to ventilate, and then rescue strategies such as prone ventilation going on to the more advanced version ECMO. In the course of this ventilation strategies, often we notice what that ARDS patients, because of the nature of lung injury, have what's called a stiff lung. The lung is, you know, is, uh, is uh, damaged because of the processes and it is often challenging to ventilate these lungs. And so a low tidal volume strategy along with uh, an appropriate PEEP is recommended in these patients. The observations which came, which were quite surprising, revealing and provocative, not to mention uh, making us think and talk about this, is that there was a, a paper by one of the eminent scientists, uh, respirologists in the world, Dr. Luciano Gattinoni from Italy, which came in the Blue Journal, one of the eminent journals too, as a rapid publication, where in his 16 series patients, he says that this lung is not behaving like typical ARDS. So the typical ARDS lung, as we said, is stiff and damaged, and it is difficult to ventilate with high inflation pressures, as the technical term goes. But this lung is relatively compliant, which means that it is not difficult to ventilate. It is not stiff. And so our strategies should be reflecting that majorly, because it's not only the lung injury, but other aspects such as what's called ventilation-perfusion relationships, what's happening out there and this entity called pulmonary uh, microthrombosis, which means the vessels are getting you know, thrombosed in a fashion not seen before. So multifactorial causation or etiology is there. And certainly we should not, we should be looking cautiously at the old strategies of ventilating with, with, with a higher PEEP as was done before. And this was simultaneously reflected in this social media video, which went like wildfire. As we said, WhatsApp is the new scientific, non-peer-reviewed, rapidly spreading, more reachable entity. And in that, this gentleman who is a critical care physician in Brooklyn, where we were before, is saying that I'm seeing these patients and for God's sake, don't ventilate them with these high peeps. So because they, are, they, are, they have low oxygen, they're hypoxemic, but they look too good. And even when you ventilate them, they're not difficult to ventilate. So maybe our ventilation strategy, instead of being supportive and healing, are going to be detrimental, if not rethought, in the context of these extremely relevant observations. 
in the course of that he has made a simile to high altitude pulmonary edema and that was a revelation we have hardly talked of this entity in the context of ARDS and so it's put everybody on a on a thought platform both because of the scientific paper and a, a similar observation made in a social media platform and the whole idea is that what are we looking at is covid lung injury different from the conventional ARDS uh, does this merit you know careful thought observation and obviously action and then of course this intriguing thing what is this simile with high altitude pulmonary edema and that's where dr yadav who's had a significant experience background and work done in the field would it would be useful to get your comments both on this background this thought process and of course particularly on high altitude pulmonary edema and its simile with this particular process well dr mehta i mean you summed it up beautifully see this paper is not exactly a scientific paper it's more in the form of a letter to the editor and it's not peer reviewed it's a fast tracking publication and the second one you know avowedly is a one week's experience so to say that we should read too much in these observations is not correct but by the same token observations have their value after all gravity came from just one single observation of the apple coming down so i think we can't discount anything but if you really look into the details then we find that it's not a static entity that they are talking of it's a spectrum so if you look at the early part of the covid syndrome that is the one in which we have good compliance which they call the l type in which the elastance is low but the compliance is high so we have a lot of gas and air in the lungs but the problem is probably a perfusion mismatch where a sudden vasoconstriction the perfusion has gone to the other areas and that is why they picked up a simile with the high altitude pulmonary edema that high altitude pulmonary edema also seems to come from that hydrostatic barotrauma of some kind but you know we should realize that it, that there is lot of lot of dissimilarity in the two if you look at the covid the patients they breathe normally they may have very severe hypoxia but their lung mechanics are pretty good they are dissociated hypoxemia and the lung mechanics but if you look i remember those days that you mentioned of the high altitude pulmonary edema we saw in the armed forces in uh, high altitude areas at 15 and 18000 feet i mean those people were struggling with their breath with frothy sputum coming out from the mouth covid has normal heart rates very late stage they would get tachycardia or end stage bradycardia but in high to palmidema right in the first stage you get tachycardia in fact tachycardia and tachypnea were the two hallmarks subsequently the froth will come out and the patient will become cyanotic so the clinical picture was different number two high to palmidema is a hypobaric hypoxic hypoxemic injury you know there are three components so that hypobaric part is missing here so whether it is going to be the same or not we cannot say unless more studies are there and i'm surprised that they have not looked at the bronco alveolar lavage because in our study there that time with the armed forces the bronco alveolar lavage was looked at we found rbcs 
lot of macrophages and proteinaceous material. And it will be worth seeing what does the bronchoalveolar lavage of a COVID patient shows. So to comment and to say that, look, they are same or different at this stage, uh, it's an observation they made. On surface, it looks they are two different entities. I think very insightful comments and clearly it reflects both your experience and your reading into the current literature and your interpretation of that. And that's the most valuable thing. I have a couple of questions in response to your, your comments. First is that if you, now can you hypothetically imagine that if your high altitude pulmonary edema patient was given oxygen, which doesn't happen at that altitude usually, is it possible theoretically that they would have such a response that they're already on oxygen, they're getting that pathophysiology, but you will not see all the manifestations of, as you described, dyspnea, tachycardia and, you know, frothing because they're on oxygen. So it has taken away the component of hypoxic vasoconstriction. It's taken away the compensatory or mitigated the compensatory responses. And in that way, is it fair to say that there is a, a, a idea that this simile may have its value or it's just a thought we're debating today and does not pan out in you know, two weeks from now? Well, the exact thing we found was that oxygen therapy was very useful, but more useful was just evacuating them to the low altitude. You know, there were two modes used for evacuation. Daytime, they could use choppers. But in the nighttime, choppers could not fly in those areas. So the evacuation by was by road. So mm. all those chopper evacuations that we got, they were all, you know, serious, critical, throwing sputum, as I told you, frothy sputum and from the mouth, sinus and tachycardia. But all those which came with the ambulance and had a four-hour lag period, Either they had been lost on the way or by the time they reached us, they were sitting up and very comfortable. So just reduction of the altitude was the single most important thing. But it was seen that giving oxygen itself helped those patients. We did not have, today Armed Forces is equipped with all kinds of you know, non-invasive ventilation equipments and hyperbaric chambers in these high altitude areas. We did not have in those days, I'm talking of 1978, Nine, uh, to 1985, those things were not there. And we didn't have the specialized high flow oxygen cannulas. All that we had was a simple mask or a nasal prong and that's it. And even the cylinders would run out and you are worried and you would keep the flow low because you wanted the cylinder to last the three hours that it, the journey will take. So, but oxygen helped. It did help. There's no doubt about it. Right. So I think it's speculative to know whether this sort of pathophysiology, I mean, if you're giving them oxygen and you're postulating a, a, a sort of a perfusion alteration, which is simulating the entity we're discussing, seems to be interesting to talk about, certainly uh, eye catcher and uh, contemplative thought, but panning out in terms of therapy is what's coming out there. And is it really something serious? And that's the next question that, you know, people are now talking, as you touched on in the course of your last uh, statement, do hyperbaric chambers have a role and are we really jumping the gun here that first of all jumping onto a theory not able to substantiate it and now coming out uh, uh, coming out with a with a cure which is not simple and offering hope where it's not substantiated at all any any of course it's a very difficult question to answer a thoughts would be welcome well hyperbaric oxygen is not the treatment for these because this is not a, a barrow trauma of that nature you know, it is at normal altitudes. It's not the highlanders who are getting it. These are all lowlanders who are getting it. So I don't think, you know, uh, that would be a factor. In fact, you can take one other extreme of it, the Cases disease and the 
the divers, deep sea divers, they get their bends and all those kind of decompression syndromes. Now, they are also the manifestation of this whole spectrum with almost a similar kind of a pathophysiology. And the pathophysiology is that hypoxia produces vasoconstriction, they are they, they, the pulmonary artery pressures go up, there is shear stress which damages the basement membrane and, and, and shear mechanics when it breaks down the alveolar capillary uh, basement membrane, there is a leak which is taking place. So probably instituted very early in the course, it may change the course of the disease, but by the time you get to know the damage may have already been done and if the capillaries are already started leaking, it may be too late. And in any case, lastly, as you said, it's a theoretical option. You can't provide chambers as a, to a pandemic situation. You can present it in a limited place, catering to, you know, as a nodal center where all your patients come and you put them one by one in Vedic chamber. You can put one patient. I mean, uh, unless you have a bigger chamber, where you can put two to four. So I don't think this is a worthwhile topic to sort of pursue at this moment at least. Right. So let's see whether people who are forwarding the need for the, the, the thought of hyperbaric uh, chambers in this particular entity will get far or whether any clinical studies will pick up on that. Certainly extremely uh, provocative and uh, we're not sure it's actually some a path will be going on. So to summarize the whole talk, the, the interesting part is a relook at uh, COVID uh, ARDS. That we're now questioning the fact that COVID acute lung injury is not the regular acute lung injury that we've talked about. There is certainly interesting questions and certain definitive aspects coming that a good deal of these are these high compliance situations. So we don't need to, you know, give high peep situations. I think low tidal volumes anyway of the range of 6 ml per kg to 4 ml per kg have been talked about. 6 ml per kg is what is regular practice anyway. Anyway, to put it in perspective, most ICU people will never ventilate with high tidal volumes. It's a known thing. So I think the entire entity of customized and personalized medicine will be extending its particular uh, aspects to COVID. I mean, you're not going to go with any cut and paste protocol when you see that the lungs are compliant and you're going to push PEEP into them. So the, the thought process is reflected in the, in the brief communication as uh, Dr. Yadav put it or in this, uh, you know, uh, WhatsApp forward, which generates enough attention to would lead us to one conclusion. It is acute lung injury of a different nature is what is coming out. Multifactorial aspects besides the acute lung injury component seem to be the fact that there is a pulmonary microthrombosis, the nature of which is still being defined. There is a redistribution of perfusion, the nature of which is being defined. On a therapeutic front, we will use appropriate low tidal volumes and not go crazy over high peep. It will be appropriate judicious peep so as to not to cause lung injury. At the same time, recruitment maneuvers such as prone may have limited role in these uh, patients if they don't have high inflation pressures and they're behaving like the L-type low compliance category he talked about. And more work in progress to see if these fancy entities of anticoagulation all besides the prophylactic we do anyway have any role at all. It's changing rapidly. I think every three, four, five days we'll get more information as cumulative experience comes. Certainly one center, one area experience will be thoughtful but not the be all and end all. And lastly, in India, let's see what our data shows, what our patients behave like. We have few patients with acute lung injury and COVID uh, ARDS at this point. So as cumulative experience increases, certainly this conversation will not only develop, but also be refined and lead to new thoughts and new discussions. I think any final comments, Dr. Yadav? Otherwise, we will uh, close this interesting discussion. Well, uh, you have summed it absolutely beautifully. Just one addition to what you said was, you know, one must also guard against the so-called self-induced lung injury. 
that these patients generally feel very well and one is apt to delay the intubation. And if they find that there is a, there is a stress on inspiration and the excessive muscles are working, when they're generating a lot of negative intrathoracic pressure to be able to draw the air in, that's the time there is a lot of alveolar damage which is occurring. And therefore, probably one should go in for an intubation a step ahead of this rather than this scenario of injury to the lungs, self-induced injury take place. Apart from that, I think you have said it beautifully. I think it's a lovely point that he's brought, brought here that entity called SILI. SILI is S-I-L-I and not S-I-L-L-Y, uh, self-induced lung injury. But the intriguing part is there is one gentleman saying that they look good and they're not tachypneic or tachycardic and hypoxemic. So one wonders how the silly component will come as against Dr. Gattinoni, which has, who has mentioned the silly component so adroitly mentioned by Dr. Yadav. As we said, the, the discussion fuels more thinking processes. We will get cumulative experience both from the world and from our own patients. But I think this discussion leaves enough thought processes what, about what is there on the table and what is down the line for us to keep an eye on and reflect on. So with that, we end it. Thank you, Dr. Yadav, and thank you to the forum which has called us. Uh, have a lovely day. Thank you, Dr. Mehta. Enjoy it. Insights from the world's best medical minds. This is the right doctors.com.